FX has the movies. FX, FX has the movies. Know what I'm saying? Anybody remember those? Those FX commercials where they'd put different movie clips and FX and has the movies. Has the movies? You know? Uh, yeah, okay. You know me. I start the watch cast with something different or I try to change it up with every single episode. And that is the change up for this episode. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Noah Davis, here to talk to you about everything and anything I watched throughout the week. I was writing the things down that I watched this week, and I was thinking, man, I haven't watched a lot. Then I wrote it all down, and I'm thinking, I think I watch more than some people. You know, I'm not saying more than everybody or anything like that, but I think I watch more TV than some people. So let's just get straight to it. I watched... Every episode except for the last one of The Bear, so season one and season two, uh, there were eight, six episodes in one, and then ten episodes in two. I need one more on season two, and it has a season three, so fuck me. I hate ongoing shows, but hey, we're, we're here, we're there, we're gonna watch it everywhere. I needed a rhyme for some reason. Doesn't matter. I watched The Bear, and it's fine. It's fine. It's it's better than most TV on the air. But if I could compare it to any show, and yes, I know it has a similar actor, and I'll explain why I'm going to compare, it would be Shameless. Because it kind of deals with everything around the plot instead of actually advancing any sort of real plot. Um, it, it teases you with an actual plot, and leads you to believe it's like the, the episodes are a part of the plot yet you finish an episode and you're thinking, wait, they didn't do anything to open the restaurant. The only episode I've really loved was the one based on Richie cousin Richie. I think that was fantastic. It was an amazing developmental episode, a singular episode. I think that's a, a fantastic feat to be able to change a character's attitude and perception in one single episode. I think that's fantastic. I really appreciate that episode. What I don't appreciate is all the weird celebrity, not celebrity, actor cameos that kind of distract and detract from the actual show. There was a, uh, a family holiday episode that I didn't care for. I assumed it was supposed to hit me a lot harder than it did, but I was too distracted by everybody being a famous person. Like, oh, Bob Odenkirk's his uncle? Oh, sorry, spoilers for the bear. Sorry, spoilers for the bear in this one episode. Bob Odenkirk's his uncle? Oh, uh, Mulaney is his 
brother-in-law or or uh, not actually brother-in-law but sort of brother-in-law uh jamie lee curtis is his mom uh, you know there's just so much going on in that episode that i was i was a little distracted to be honest i couldn't really i i just couldn't see all of those actors being conveniently I don't know. I don't know. I, for some reason it turned me off and I had to pause the episode. I, I paused it halfway and came back and finished it later. It's got a modern feel to it. The show does, but I don't love the direction. I don't love the camera work. I do love the, the tone and the color palette and the costuming and the set design. I, I like those. I enjoy those a lot. They, they do a lot for making the world and Chicago feel alive. But what I don't love is the zoom ins on everybody, the full shots faces of everybody. I mean, it's every scene, man. I, I can't do it. It's like a handheld camera just zoomed into faces. Every scene, anybody's talking, Oh, zoom in their face. This guy's talking, zoom in his face. That person, you get my point. <laughs> there's, a, there's just so much close pan shots to the face, and they're, they're just, uh, I, I, I don't love it. It's, it's hard to look at. It doesn't really do anything for me as a, as a huge fan of symmetrical shots and, I mean, even plot lines having symmetry and just visual distinctions as a huge fan of that, visual metaphors, distinctions, anything, symmetry, you name it, I'll probably really like it. For someone who really likes that, it kind of pisses me off that the camera guy is just like pointing a camera at a face, you know, <laughs> uh, more power to these directors and the camera operators, more power to them. I appreciate and respect the work that they put into shows that I can appreciate, but I don't have to agree stylistically. I don't agree at all stylistically, honestly. It uh, doesn't do anything for me other than make it feel a little claustrophobic, which I guess might be the point. But then I'll just, if that's the point, I'll rephrase and say, I don't like the point. I don't think it does anything actually to the show to enhance my enjoyment. The show's already stressful enough. I mean, I get fucking flashbacks from restaurant life. It already does enough of these stress-inducing plot lines and writing. I get that, you know, you're already on edge. And then it does the camera work, and it's like, just zoom out, goddammit. Just zoom out for me. Just give me one full shot of, like, the whole restaurant room. Just give me one big shot. And they, they, they don't, they refuse. And, um, you know, it, they, they might like once in a while, but it's so rare that I don't even pay attention to it. It's just, I, so many times have I seen bear, I just want to call him lip. It's not my fault. Shameless poison my mind. Uh, bear man, bear kid. What is the kid's name? <laughs> Mike? No. Is it Mike? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I've seen his face too many times covering up my entire screen. I, I don't know. I don't like that. Uh, so yeah. And it's got that feeling of shameless where shameless is always like, yeah, we Boston, man. We out here. We Boston. Well, this show is like Chicago, Chi town. And it, it does that thing where it's trying to represent a community, but it's a show with, you know, six people. I mean, We've already had Chicago shows, guys. <laughs> We've already had shows that did this and did it pretty well. I mean, literally, 
we already shy town we we literally have done this before yet you input some restaurant tour and some some cooking lingo and boom you got a whole new show also brings me to the point i don't like the uh, plot line with sydney i don't think it really is going anywhere it feels as though it's meandering around all of these characters other than cousin richie i'll give them that because again i already talked about it all of these characters aren't really developing into anything. It feels as though they are very static, even when they try to change or even when they do something that supposedly changes them or supposedly changes the way they look at things. It feels so static. It feels like, so I'm on the last episode of season two. It feels like these characters are almost identical to maybe the second episode of season one. It doesn't feel as though it's went anywhere. You know, how they say it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Well, I don't think there's been a journey. You know, I'm. it's actually all about the destination for the show because it just teases that the entire show of just wanting to open the restaurant. I mean, that that's literally the plot of the show. That's literally the title of the show. It's just, it feels like a big tease. And yeah, I guess I'll finally get it on this last episode, yet it doesn't really do anything for me. You know, am I going to watch season three? I don't know. And at this point, am I just rambling about a great show that I don't love? Yeah, yeah, actually, that's kind of exactly what I'm doing. So I'm going to move on. I watched World War II from the front lines, Netflix's new docuseries based, of course, on World War II. But from the front lines is literal. All of the footage, except for some very brief talking head interviews, all of the footage is from the front lines. And it's so, so impactful. It's so effective in conveying just how fucked war is. I mean, just how fucked it is. Because, I mean, they'll, they'll show you inside a panzer tank. They'll show you, uh, from a civilian's point of view, their city, you know, getting bombed by the British and the Americans. <clears throat> they'll show you, they'll uh, show you British troops trying to liberate Italy from Mussolini. They'll, they'll, they'll show, um, the, the Russians liberating Stalingrad from the Nazis. I mean, they're just, well, liberating is kind of an opinion because apparently they didn't really love Stalin either. There are a lot of people that love Stalin. Either, so, so maybe liberating is a, a weird term. Um, let me see. They'll show the Russians recapturing Stalingrad. There we go. They'll show the Russians recapturing Stalingrad. And it just goes to show every single, not plot beat, I know that's really weird, but almost uh, the, the human beat of things. Uh, you, can, you can almost feel how the humans felt. Obviously, you can't. But with the frontline footage, it's about as good as you can fucking get in a documentary series. There's something to be said about recolored footage on a plane literally showing a real-life dogfight of a bomber trying to shoot off Nazi fighter planes. I mean, there's just something so rad and terrible and terrifying and cool and awesome and awe-inspiring and awful uh, about the whole shebang, the whole deal. And it's really effective TV. It's really good TV. I'd recommend watching it. Even if you don't like World War II documentaries, uh, this one's pretty good because it's not that educational. It's not taking you through every single beat. It's not taking you through every single event of World War II. It's not World War II in color. That was a previous Netflix series that I already watched this year that really went into depth about what actually happened during World War II. This is more 
the actual front lines. Any footage they can get from the front lines, that's what you'll learn about. You learn how the Americans and the British bombed the fuck out of this Italian religious uh, church or building, this big religious structure, because they believed the Nazis were there, but the Nazis said they weren't allowed to go up there. So really, the Americans and the British just laid waste to this church full of uh, innocents and nuns and uh, uh, not preachers, uh, you know, uh, uh, Catholic, uh, <laughs> whatever the word I'm thinking for is, you know, not preacher, uh, not deacon, not, uh, pastor, not, um, not leader. Uh, you know, I, I priest, there we go. God, why can't I think of the word priest? All those priests, the nuns and the innocent people who were trying to survive the shilling, uh, got killed because that's even in world war two, even the good guys suck. Because that's kind of, you know what, even war, the good guys suck. It's just kind of how it works. It's fucking awful. It's terrifying. It's humanity. So I definitely recommend watching it. I haven't finished, but it's fantastic. And if you love World War II stuff, fantastic. You know, it's even better. So next up, I saw Miyazaki's latest film, The Boy and the Huron. That is a really, really pretty gift wrapping. And you open it and there's nothing in the box. You know, <laughs> where there should be substance. You're expecting substance, you know. You, you, you're you getting a gift. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this gift. Or, yeah, I'm going to see uh, what this person who gave it to me meant. And so it's got this immaculate rep representation, this immaculate presentation. It's got the perfect folds of the wrapping paper, the ribbons tied just perfect, the, the creases match up with the corners. You know, it's absolutely gorgeous looking. And then you open it up and there's nothing in the box. And that is how the boy in the Huron felt. I was waiting for a plot or a point or some sort of artistic message to start, but I waited until the credits and I was still kind of waiting there. I don't really understand the movie. I let me rephrase. It's not that I don't understand what things mean or symbolism. It's that I don't understand what they were trying to convey. Uh, other than some very surface level generic ass messaging, I don't know what they were trying to convey. Uh, you know, accept people, uh, pretend your aunt who's banging your dad uh, right after your mom died is now your new mom and you literally call her mom and then you meet the younger version of herself in another dimension so that you can learn that she's your mom but she's not, but you're going to say she's your mom so that you can get out of this crazy dimension with sentient parrots and instead of taking over this dimension you go back home with your fake mom that you're going to call your mom and that's the plot of the story yes I know I missed a lot of nuances and yes I'm boiling it down to a asinine degree but <laughs> that is how it felt that is how the entire movie felt other than the pretty packaging yeah artistic direction fantastic phenomenal audio direction fantastic phenomenal writing not great plot not great pacing garbage <laughs> like base, because it's not as though I'm comparing this random unknown anime movie to Miyazaki. It's oh, I'm comparing Miyazaki to Miyazaki. You know, it's, it's like if 
Tarantino just came out with a mids movie. Yeah, it's not terrible, but guess what? It's Tarantino. So he's set a bar for you. He set a bar, a previous established bar. And when you don't meet that or you go way under it, then I'm going to compare it more harshly than some rando who hit that same bar. Uh, this is just, I am comparing Miyazaki film to Miyazaki films. And this is the worst one hands down 100%, maybe the raccoon one, but I haven't actually sat down and watched that one. I've just seen the, the memes of the ball sacks and the raccoon, the Tanuki, uh, throwing their ball sacks around and flying. Yeah. I've, I've seen those. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie itself. Uh, this is worse than Spirited Away. This is worse than Poyo. This is worse than uh, Totoro. This is worse than Nausicaa. This is worse than Howl's Moving Castle. This is worse than, uh, 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 I mean, uh, Porco Rosso. This is worse than, um, I think I'm running out. I think I'm running out. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a lot of the Nausicaa, uh, What's the one? Uh, Princess Mononoke. This is way worse than all of those movies. All of those movies are fantastic movies by themselves, singular experiences, and this movie's not. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it at that because I just sound like a hater if I kept talking about it. So what's funny is Boy in the Huron. This is gonna be a nice segue. Boy in the Huron seemed very pro Japan, you know, uh, and it was set way back when. So it's kind of you know, very pro Japan. The boy wants to be a soldier. His mom was a nurse who died valiantly, you know, treating people, uh, post-war or during war, you know, Japan, war period, Japan. And there was almost a, a, um, a sentimentality that you could get from this movie. Then the next day I went to watch Godzilla minus one. And that's fucking hilarious because you have Miyazaki over here. Who's like, Oh man, I miss old Japan. And Oh, this little boy wants to be a soldier. He's the protagonist. You know, that's what Miyazaki's thinking. And then you have Godzilla minus one that is so anti-war Japan. It's hilarious. They're saying like, they didn't build ejection seats into the planes. They didn't give people food because, you know, they ain't got it because they're at war. You know, <laughs> they're saying they treat their soldiers like shit. They treat their people like shit. Very anti-World War II. I mean, Godzilla is very anti-World War II. Uh, just itself, the character itself, not even the plots. So it's hilarious to see Miyazaki's version of World War II Japan and then Toho, other director, producer, whoever did Minus One's version of post-World War II Japan. That's a, there's a dichotomy of Japanese men, I guess, where, where um, one side thinks, oh man, those were the days, and the other side thinks, yeah, those, those were the days, I guess, Mr. Sorry, Miyazaki-san, like... Yeah, yeah, sure. Definitely, those were the days. Uh, yeah, so Godzilla Minus One had a lot of heart. Uh, it had good, pace, nice pacing. And no, I'm not just saying, hey, big monster kaiju is better than boring cartoon. Uh, no, if anyone who knows me, uh, they know I usually probably think the opposite. So it's weird when I, of all people, am saying this. Because 
Godzilla Minus One had a heart. It had direction. It had character points. It had developments. It had messages. It had nuanced meanings. It had things you could have missed. It had uh, family, familial relationships that are written well and not like stilted zombies talking to each other. It had a lot going for it that Boy the Hero did not. So I actually really appreciate Godzilla Minus One. I didn't really understand how it was going to be a prequel. And then, well... I understood how it was going to be a prequel after I watched it, of course, because, you know, it leads into the first movie. It's called Minus One. It, I mean, that that's just that's just how it works. That makes sense. You know, it was going to be a prequel through and through. So it's really cool to see this maybe not accurate representation because, of course, Godzilla, but this um, neat representation of post-World War II Japan and how it worked. I mean, I'd seen Grave of the Fireflies, and that's post-war, so it almost in a weird way was reminiscent of that except Godzilla. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. And there is a, a likable protagonist. He had an, a, a character arc. He wasn't a perfect character. He wasn't a perfect guy so that his, your idea of his self and his image kind of ebbed and flowed throughout the movie because you're like, Oh yeah, sorry. Spoilers. Uh, so you're like, oh, he's a failed kamikaze. So he's kind of a coward, but then you realize, okay, maybe it's not just that. And then there's a little bit of this and you're like, okay, maybe he is a little bit of coward. Okay. Maybe he's not just coward. And it's not just like the movie is playing tug of war. It's that they're establishing scenes for you to interpret as your own. And that is always good because it is nice when a character is not just black and white, when you can't really place a character in, oh, this was a good guy, you know? Uh, and it's really impressive to do that when you don't have a real antagonist other than Big Monster, you know? Uh, you don't have a human antagonist to counter, to foil the protagonist. You just have looming threat. And Godzilla's not really a character in this movie at all. I mean, that's how a lot of Godzilla movies are. It's how a lot of Godzilla movies aren't. So... It's interesting to see this young Godzilla, if you will, in the forefront, not the forefront, sorry, uh, in the, <laughs> I guess, in the background. So the opposite of the forefront. So he's kind of just in the background, and it's really the human story. And that's, I mean, th those are the best Godzillas, whether it's that uh, Godzilla 2014, the original Godzilla, or even Godzilla Megalon. I think the human stories are all very much positives and make movie those movies better. I mean, hell, some of those movies couldn't exist without the human story, so it's kind of a weird thing to say. But here we are, Godzilla Minus One, a great human-based story that is about a giant fucking lizard. And I would recommend it to anyone. It even reuses some of the score from the original Godzilla. It uses the original theme, which goes hard. One of the best movie themes of all time is the original Godzilla theme. Uh, it even has like little sly references to the first one. So if you're a big Godzilla fan, you'll like it. If you're not, yeah, you might not like it, but you'll like it more than the four-year-old who didn't realize or <laughs> the four-year-old's family who didn't realize it's going to be in Japanese, like the theater I went to. It also reminded me why I don't go to theaters, because there were parents who brought their four- or five-year-old to a Japanese sub-movie, so they either didn't Google anything about it, didn't look at the language presented, 
Didn't see the IMDb, didn't see the Wikipedia, didn't see the movie Showtime website, that's a Japanese audio. They didn't see any of that, and they thought, hey, we're going to take our son to Godzilla. <laughs> we're, that's a big monster movie. What's there going to be confusing? And then it's all in Japanese, and about 20 minutes in, after the mom's been having to explain every single little thing to the kid, because obviously he can't read that fast. I mean, it's a fucking subtitled movie. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, yeah, after about 20, 30 minutes in, they leave because guess what? It's a Japanese fucking movie, you know, and it's not really a kid's movie. It's not really a Godzilla versus Kong, big American bland spectacle. It's not like that. It's an actual human story. And then I had a group of younger guys in two rows ahead of me who were, one of them was on Snapchat 15 minutes into the movie, and that's a sickness, okay? If you go to the movies on your parents' money and you pull out Snapchat 15 minutes in and you're scrolling for, you know, more than a second, if you're not just like, hey, sending an update and just, you know, okay, snap a picture of the theater, send it to your friend, and guess guess what? They know you're at the theaters. That's cool. That's cool. Do that. That's kosher, all right? Cool. But when you're literally looking at stories, and just scrolling through with your head in your hand as you're in the movies wasting your parents' money, you can have a big old fuck you from me because, one, your parents wasted their money on you, <laughs> and two, why are you wasting your time doing this? What, you know, uh, what, like, what are you doing? Just go sit outside. You know, what, like, You don't have to pay money to sit in a chair and scroll on Snapchat, my guy. It, you know, and then once the movie, uh, you know, confirmed that it was a prequel, because if the title wasn't enough for you, if the timeline wasn't enough for you, if the bio of the movie wasn't enough for you, there is a scene that solidifies it being a prequel at the very end. And these young guys are like, oh, come on, of course. And it's like, yeah, guys, of course, because it's a pre, it's called minus one, like, negative one ah, people okay <laughs> i'm gonna end it on that this has been a longer watch cast it's almost 25 minutes so that is all for this episode of the watch cast i'm your host noah davis i will be here next week i guess we're changing to wednesdays because that's the way my brain's just been vibing it's been a wednesday kind of time this year and i will see you next week i'm out of here